Well, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Yes, 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. We are taking a break from Ruth. But this message, which I have preached on maybe years ago, many of the things that we find here, you will also find in Ruth. Or many of the things that we have spoken about from Ruth. And so they go hand in hand. And we are going to see that today. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. You know, beloved, the Bible does say in Psalm 34, 19, these words, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And so it's not a matter of if we are going to face trials, it's when. They are meant to refine God's people. That's why God has ordained them for us. And we see this very clearly here in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 to 11. So I want you to follow along as I read this passage. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, Strengthen and establish you to Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And may God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Now I know most of you are aware of this because I've mentioned it a number of times when we have come to this epistle. But it was written when Christians were facing severe persecution under the Roman Emperor the Roman ruler, Nero. And frankly, Peter did not know if or when this suffering would cease. And so he wrote here to challenge believers and various churches to be faithful, sharing with them many truths to guide and encourage their hearts and to exhort them to be a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of their suffering. You know, there is an old hymn out there entitled Day by Day. Some of you probably know it. If you've been around church life long enough, you are familiar with it. It was written by Lena Sandell Berg. And I just want to read a little bit of her story with you. It says, The waves of revival that swept the Scandinavian countries during the latter half of the 19th century were greatly influenced by the wealth of fine hymns which flowed from the pen of Lena Sandell, born on October the 3rd, 1832, at Freudard, Sweden. She was a daughter of the pastor of the parish church of that community. Being a frail youngster, she usually preferred to spend her time in her father's study rather than to join her comrades in play. When she was 26 years of age, she accompanied her father on a journey to Gothenburg. But tragedy occurred before the destination was reached. The ship gave a sudden lurch and Lena's father fell overboard 
and drown before the eyes of his devoted daughter. Although she had written hymns prior to this tragic experience, more songs began to flow out of her broken heart, which reflect a simple childlike trust in Christ and a deep sense of his abiding presence in her life. And just to hear a couple of the stanzas of day by day, you would think that she was reading First Peter when she wrote this. Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all major gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Help me then in every tribulation, so to trust thy promises, O Lord, that I lose not face, sweet consolation, offered me within thy holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take as from a father's hand, one by one the days, the moments fleeting, till I reach the promised land. Amen and amen to that. And so... As I read the lyrics to that song, is that your attitude when you face various trials and suffering in your lives? It's a good question to ask yourselves up front as we begin this message. Well, as Peter closed this epistle, he exhorted his readers once again, sharing with them the proper spirit, the proper attitude they were to have in the midst of their dilemma. And it's just as appropriate for us today as it was then. All right? Yes, that was 2,000 years ago. And we're here. But he was writing to believers and to the church. And so, yes, it does apply to us. And I'll just let you know that our situation that we face today is nothing that compared to what they experienced then. So keep that in mind as we work through this message today. I want you to consider with me four attitudes which you should possess when facing trials. And my prayer for you is that you might be able to weather any storm that God has planned for you as we work through this message. And so Be praying now in your heart that the Lord would apply these principles to your heart as we look at them from God's Word. And the first attitude is found there in verses 6 and 7. This is the very first thing that Peter says, which, in my opinion, is the foundation to everything that he says following. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. What seems clear here? What's the attitude that God is calling from us in trials? You are to have a humble spirit. That's right. You are to have a humble spirit. And humility here speaks to a lowliness of mind. Now, what does that look like? You probably don't hear those words too often, a lowliness of mind. But that is what Peter is talking about here. 
And really, there are two components to it that we see here in this passage of Scripture. On one hand, Peter says here, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So, a lowly mind is submissive to God. So when we talk about humility, having a lowliness of mind, we're talking about being submissive to God. Instead of your hearts fighting against the sovereign hand of God, who directed, who allowed the sufferings in your life, His people are to willingly place themselves under it, accepting the circumstances as His will. It is His will. That's why it's there. (laughs) God is in control of that. And if there is one lesson that God wants to teach you and I over and over again is that he is in control and you are not. (laughs) That's a lesson that I need to learn, okay? This principle right here is what I need. I, I have to preach this to myself often, over and over again. And if I'm not preaching it to myself, my wife is preaching it to me. (laughs) She's reminding me of what it says in in, in Proverbs 16 and verse 9. The mind of man plans his way, but God directs his steps. Yeah, I have to be mindful of that. Because so often I want what I want. Not what is happening in the moment. That's nothing but pride. But... A lowliness of mind, humility, submits yourself to God in His ways. The circumstances, the suffering, the trials that He brings into your life. And then on the other hand, the Apostle went on to say there in verse 7, casting all your care upon Him. So a lowly mind also trusts God. A lowly mind trusts in God. And what we see here is kind of like a net. God's people are to gather all that burdens them, whatever it may be, distractions, anxieties, doubts, discouragements. And what are you to do? You're to throw them on the Lord, casting all your care upon Him, your anxiety upon Him. He never meant it for you to bear. He expects you to lay it upon Him. And how do you do that? Very simply, prayer. That's right. We're all familiar with this passage in Philippians, right? Philippians 4, 6 to 8. Holding your space here. Let's just go there. Some of you probably have it memorized, but we're going to read it. Philippians 4, 6 to 8. And actually, I'm going to read through verse 9. Philippians 4, beginning with verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Catch that. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There's a formula here that I need to share with you. Maybe I have in the past. I heard it in my counseling class when I was in seminary. Uh, Stuart Scott, who's written a number of books on various subjects, but he said this, 
Right praying plus right thinking results in right living. Did you catch that? That's what that text is actually saying. Right praying plus right thinking results in right living. Always remember that. That's what that passage is teaching you. And so, beloved, when you humble yourselves in these ways, you have the promises that are listed there in verses 6 and 7. It says there, He will exalt you. In other words, He will bring rest. As is declared in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, where Paul says, No temptation, trial has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. He's saying there that Jesus will go with us through the trial, and He'll bring us out on the other side. If it's not in this life, it will be in the life to come. But He will. That's the promise that we have. He will exalt you. He will bring rest. And on the other hand, And there's another promise here, as we see there in verse 7, casting all your anxiety on Him because what? He cares for you. (laughs) That's a promise. Do you believe that? You believe that God cares for you? You should. What's the greatest demonstration of that? Yeah, the cross, the, the death and resurrection of Christ, which we sing about so often. And so may these promises help you to have a humble mindset which submits to and trusts in God. This is so necessary to weather any storm. I think it's the foundation that establishes everything else that I'm going to say this morning. And you want to know something? Over the last few weeks we've seen it in Ruth, haven't we? We sure have, by the grace of God. Well, this brings us to another attitude that we find here in this text As Peter goes on and shares things with these believers in these churches, verses 8 and 9, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So what do you notice here? What's another attitude that's clearly revealed in those verses? It's simply this. You are to have a watchful spirit, a watchful attitude. You have those commands given for you right there in verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. The apostle here was calling believers to be on guard with sound judgment. And the reason being is that they have an enemy who seeks to swallow them up in trials by leading them to respond unbiblically both in their thinking and in their behavior. That's why it's so important for us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ because our enemy out there is leading us to think unbiblically. He's getting our minds focused on the temporal and on ourselves rather than eternally where our minds should be at. And of course, our enemy, as you can see here in this passage of Scripture, is Satan, who's described as our adversary, our opponent, our slanderer. 
and vicious beasts like a roaring lion, as it says there. Peter is not picturing him here as an angel of light, as we see in other passages of Scripture. No, but as one who is hostile and powerful. He wants us to lose. He wants us to go opposite of the way God wants us to in suffering and in trials. He's our enemy. And this is part of the reason you are to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You need God's strength to resist and endure. Amen? You do. Absolutely. Well, how is this to be done? Again, another good question. How do we resist and endure? Well, no doubt you're to put on the whole armor of God. We see that in Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. But right here in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter here, highlights two things that I want you to see. Two things. Look what he says there in verse 9, the beginning of verse 9. But resist him, that is Satan, firm in your faith. You're to resist by steadfastness in the faith. And I will tell you that faith here is more objective than it is subjective. It's referring to the gospel, the word of God in which you are to stand and grow. As Christians, you are already overcomers by faith in the finished work of Christ, in His death and resurrection. But you are to daily apply the gospel and the rest of Scripture to your hearts so that you might have strength and endurance, guidance and comfort. Remember Jesus praying in John seventeen seventeen, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Thy word is truth. Psalm 119, I could point to any verse (laughs) there in Psalm 119, which is 176 verses on the Word of God. But one that stands out is Psalm 119, 92. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Think about that. Who is the greatest example of enduring and resisting Satan through temptation? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? Matthew 4, Luke 4 gives us the narrative. After Jesus had gone without food for 40 days, He was tempted of Satan. And how did Jesus respond to Him each time? Three times. It is written. It is written. It is written. And he quotes from Deuteronomy, his own word, <laughs> three times. And I've said this to you before, if it was good enough for Jesus, I guess it's good enough for us, right? Yeah. And then there's something else that Peter noted there. And I think this is something we forget. Look at the rest of verse 9 there. He goes on to say this, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. You resist through encouragement of other faithful believers. How many times have you heard people say, nobody's going through what I'm going through? Really? I mean, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Okay, so what they're going through has been faced by many believers over the years. 
We're to familiarize ourselves with those who have suffered in the faith. We're to learn how they stood firm and apply it to our own lives. That's why the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's pointing back to the great heroes of the faith. There in chapter 11, they went through trying times. They weren't perfect. But because they had true faith, they endured. Look back. You're surrounded by all these believers who have faced the things that you are facing right now. Get encouragement from them. Learn from them. That's why it's so important to be in church with God's people. God in His providence often hooks you up with people who are going through similar things that you are facing. And they open up. And they're transparent and they share their heart. And then you get to ask them questions. How are you doing? How are you facing it all? How are you overcoming? And they give you secrets that help you. But if you don't come to church, you miss out on all that. In fact, I've talked with a number of believers who will tell me, I haven't seen you in church for a while. They'll say, well, I've just been going through a lot of trials and difficulties. Why stay home? Come and be around God's people and sit under the preaching and teaching of His Word and be around other believers who indeed have experienced the the same things that you are facing. You're going to get encouragement there. But Satan, your enemy, doesn't want you to be here because he knows where the help is at. I want you to consider reading a book. It's entitled, The Hidden Smile of God. It's by John Piper. Actually, he's written a trilogy of books on believers in past ages who have gone through some real uh, trying times. And The Hidden Smile of God is one of them. My wife and I have read them together, all three of them. They're really good. You can go to... Uh, DesiringGod.com and you can see the three books there. But this one on the hidden smile of God is about the trying lives of Bunyan, Cowper, and Brainerd. And we're going to read about one of them here in a moment. But yes, I would encourage you to get one of those. They're so helpful uh, to see what others have gone through and how they did it. And then apply the same biblical truths that they applied for God's glory. So may you have a spirit of watchfulness and resist Satan through the word and encouraging examples of other believers. They stood firm. And if you know God, you will stay and stand firm. Yeah. First Peter, second Peter chapter one, verse three. We have everything necessary for life and godliness. We do. So we're to have a humble spirit and we're to also have a watchful spirit. But Peter is not done yet. As he continues to exhort them, look at what he says there in verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What was Peter emphasizing in that verse? It's simply this. You are to have a hopeful spirit. You're to have a hopeful spirit. 
And when I speak of something hopeful, I'm talking about that which is certain, that which is guaranteed. Though you will be tempted by Satan over and over again, you should be hopeful. And this verse here gives the reasons why. And I'm going to give you a couple here. We see the first one there in the first part of verse 10. This is what Peter is reminding them. He says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory. You should be hopeful because God has called you to His eternal glory. Just stop and think about that for a moment. Wow. Just pure grace. God in eternity past graciously determined your salvation and has effectually brought it about in the presence through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Wow. We didn't deserve it. You've been saved from the the penalty, the power, and one day from the presence of sin. And so be reminded of that grace. God called you. He drew you to Himself. No matter what trial you're going on, be reminded of that truth. You belong to Him. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. And so you have the comforting assurance that although you encounter trials and suffer now, it's only for a little while in comparison to eternity. Here, Peter is just quickly giving them an eternal perspective in contrast to the temporal situation they are being faced with. Because it's so easy when we're in those times to get our minds off of what God wants us to be thinking about and get it fixed on what's happening around me. That's just going to take you down, down and down. But God in His Word and His truths will bring you up. It'll help you to rise above the situation. And Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. You know, we had a missionary here, uh, one of our missionaries to China. And he was sharing with us, I don't know if you remember this, how he had been going through some real trials. And he just seemed to be overcome by it. And he was sharing these with another missionary. And this other missionary said to him these words, Your worst day is nothing compared to hell which God has delivered you from. Think about that. You have been called to God's eternal glory by His grace. Think on that. There's nothing that can separate you from it. And so your worst day is nothing compared to what God has delivered you from. Praise be to God. And then another reason you should be hopeful is because God is changing you through suffering. And that is what is captured at the end of verse 10 there. Where it says of God, will Himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That is what God is about doing in your life. He's about changing you through suffering. God is purifying you. 
and preparing you for eternity when you will be like Christ. That's his main goal for you, is to prepare you for eternity. And that is what is captured in that word perfect or perfect. It simply means a bringing to completion, a process of making whole already begun. Yeah, Christ has begun the good work in you. Isn't that what Philippians 1, 6 says? He who hath begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's continuing to work out His will in your life, conforming you to His image so that one day when you stand before Him, you'll be complete. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful truths. And so just as Peter started this epistle... He's ending this epistle. He's like he's coming back to it. Remember last week we were reading from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 7 in regards to the hope that Naomi and Ruth had? Look what it says here back in chapter 1. As Peter began this epistle, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He starts the epistle that way, and he ends it with similar words, because we forget so easy. As I told you, There's a story here of Jonathan Edwards and David Brainerd by John Piper in that book, Hidden Smile of God, that I want to read to you. I don't know if any of you know about the missionary David Brainerd. He was a missionary to the American Indians in the early 18th century. He died of tuberculosis at 29 And he was in Edward's home when he died. And Edward's bears his own testimony about all of that. And Piper here is quoting him. Edward said, I would not conclude my observations on the merciful circumstances of Mr. Brainerd's death without acknowledging with thankfulness the gracious dispensation of providence to me and my family in so ordering that he should be cast hither to my house in his last sickness and should die there so that we would have the opportunity for much acquaintance and conversation with him and to show him kindness in such circumstances and to see his dying behavior and to hear his dying speeches, to receive his dying counsel and to have the benefit of his dying prayers. Piper went on to say, Edward said this, even though he must have known it probably cost him the life of his 18-year-old daughter to have had Brainerd in his house with that terrible disease. She had tended Brainerd as a nurse for the last 19 weeks of his life. And four months after he died, 
She died of the same affliction on February 14, 1748. Edwards wrote this, It has pleased a holy and sovereign God to take away this my daughter, my dear child, by fifth. And on the 14th of February, after a short illness of five days, in the 18th year of her age, she was a person of much the same spirit with Brainerd. She had constantly taken care of and attended him in this sickness for 19 weeks before his death, devoting herself to it with great delight because she looked on him as an eminent servant of Jesus Christ. Piper went on to say this, So Edwards really meant what he said, that it was a gracious dispensation of providence that Brainerd came to his house to die. I mean, how could Edwards say these words? It's because he had a hopeful spirit, that's why. Embedded into his very soul. He thought eternally, not temporarily. And so, beloved, may you find joy in your trials knowing that they are changing and preparing you for eternity. In fact, that's what we read today in James <laughs> chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. In fact, Pastor Keith right now is teaching on the book of James. So if you have the mind to do so next week, come to the first service and go to the second service, and you'll hear some of the same things you heard today. <laughs> well, this is not all. There's one more. Very quickly, one more attitude for weathering any storm. And we see this in verse 11. It says very simply there, To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what do you say here? You're to have a worshipful spirit. Mm -hmm. You're to have a worshipful spirit. What you find in that verse is the benediction. It's the culmination to what the apostle said actually in verse 10. It's a call to worship. An exclamation, so to speak, of heartfelt devotion, adoration, gratitude to God for His power, His might to effect the change that is mentioned there in verse 10. And you know, beloved, the way to worship the Lord by way of context is through the previous three attitudes, right? It all starts with a humble attitude and a watchful attitude and a hopeful attitude because it's only through God's might that we can exemplify them. We can't do it on our own. We need the Lord. Just as it says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens us. So holding your space here, would you turn with me to Job? I know we have looked there before. But Job chapter 1, you likely know where I'm going here with this. But he is such a wonderful example of what we find in our text, particularly this last point of having a worshipful spirit. You know the story, the account, 
right here in the first chapter, he loses all of his possessions, essentially, and his family. And what does it say there, beginning in verse 20 of chapter 1? Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground. And what did he do? Complain? He worshipped. In trials, in difficulties. Is that what you do? Worship? Or do you complain? Do you throw a pity party? He worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Everything that he had belonged to the Lord. He can take it away anytime he wants. That's what he's saying. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Wow. What an example for us, huh? And so I pray that you and I would have that same worshipful spirit. If Job can, we can, because we know God and we have His Holy Spirit. Think about this. Job did not have the permanent indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit at this time like you and I do today under the new covenant. So we have no excuses. (laughs) Did he know God? Absolutely. Did the Spirit of God regenerate his heart and, and make him a believer? You bet. But he didn't have that permanent indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen until the day of Pentecost. (laughs) Many, many years later. We have that today. We have no excuses. And by the way, his situation was far worse than anything you or I have ever experienced. Yeah. Bill Crowder, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He shared this interesting fact in the Daily Bread. He said, in the 19th century, ships were often recklessly overloaded, resulting in those ships going down and the crews being lost at sea. In 1875, to remedy this negligent practice, British politician Samuel Plimsoll led the charge for legislation to create a line on the side of a ship to show if it was carrying too much cargo. That load line became known as Plimsoll Line, and it continues to mark the hulls of ships today. Well, beloved, like those ships, your lives and the church can seem overloaded at times. We can almost feel like we're going under. I've been there. I'm sure many, if not all of you have as well. You have those moments. Those moments when there are complications, struggles and heartaches, much like we have seen with Ruth, maybe even in the past few weeks, huh? With what's going over there in Israel with those believers? Yeah. We can feel like we're going under. But praise God, you have a glorious resource in Christ. Amen? You do. There's nothing that you or I have encountered that Christ hasn't encountered first. Yeah. And He's there to be with us through any trial, to carry us through. Be mindful of that. I truly believe that the four attitudes to which Peter called believing readers will carry you through any storm that you will encounter. And it all begins with a humble spirit and then a watchful spirit, a hopeful spirit, and then a worshipful spirit. 
And two, and so turn to the Lord for His sustaining grace. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul did when he had that thorn in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, My grace is sufficient for you. He's speaking about the Lord. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, when we're weak, we humbly submit ourselves to the Lord. And that's when we know His strength. Ruth did that. Yeah, she turned to the Lord. She trusted in Him. And we're going to see more of that in the weeks to come. And so may God help you to take the principles that you've heard today and apply them to your hearts and lives as you face trying times. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. And truly, it is a privilege of ours to be in Your Word and to see what it has to say. Oh God, we, we need the encouragement of your word to stay firm. We need to be reminded because we forget so easy. And we get distracted by all that's going on around us. We get distracted by our own hearts, Lord, which don't always respond rightly to our circumstances. But oh God, help us to know that You are in control. Help us to submit to You. Lord, use these principles to keep us on track for Your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.